0: Welcome to the Shine Freely podcast. I'm your host, Vicki Reeves, and this is all about human potential. I host conversations with people who are authentic, bold, and kind. Through their life experience, ideas, and research, I'm learning how to shine freely. And in case anything I learn is useful for you, I want to share my experience along the way. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so pleased to introduce you to Reverend Nancy Reeves. She's the founder and pastor of Grace Presbyterian Church in Round Rock, Texas. She's also one of the most wise and compassionate humans I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. On this episode, she shares her story of becoming a pastor in a time and place when it was socially unaccepted and risky in many ways. We share our love of rebellion and what we think about love in general. And as someone who has witnessed many dozens of people experience the dying process, I asked her what she's observed. She shared her very intimate experiences with the death of each of her parents. And I asked her about a topic which makes me both sad and uncomfortable, suicide. Then she might share an embarrassing story or two. If you love me, you will love her. She's my mom. I hope you enjoy this episode with Nancy Reeves. Reverend Nancy Reeves, welcome to the Shine Freely podcast. It's good to be here. Ah, Well, in case it's not immediately evident to the listeners, this here is my very wonderful mother, and I have learned so much from you on so many topics and probably... All the topics that are most important and meaningful to me. So I'm excited to talk to you about them and for my friends who have heard me talk about you and my upbringing and everything to get to hear a little bit more about that.
1: This is going to be fun.
0: So we'll see if my my Texas accent comes out while I'm talking. (laughs) Um, So first, let's start uh, with giving the listeners a little bit of a background on you and what your life's work has been about.
1: When I was 32, I went to seminary at Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary, and that was a huge step for me because I grew up in a family where women did not work outside the home. And when your dad and I got married, I thought I would have babies and stay home. It never occurred to me that I would have a career. Also, I grew up in a family where women didn't have leadership in the church, And there was a time when I asked your dad if I had his permission to usher in church. Wow. (laughs) So it was this big change. And um, I was a leader in the church doing lots of stuff. And somebody came to me and said, I don't understand why you're not in seminary. And it just popped out of my mouth, well, Kevin would divorce me. And this woman said, that's between Kevin and God. If you're supposed to go, you're supposed to go. Well, I never talked to Kevin about it. So I came home and said, you know, I'm kind of feeling called to seminary. And he said, I think that's exactly what God wants you to do. Wow. And my thought was, oh, um, now I have to pray about it. Because I had not prayed about it or anything because I had the excuse was that my husband wouldn't allow that. And so... Long story short, I ended up in seminary at the age of 32, and uh, three years later was ordained as minister of word and sacrament in the Peace USA.
0: And you were a pastor at two different churches? No, I was a
1: pastor at University Presbyterian Church. And then um, after I had been there for five years ordained, I felt a call to start a new church. And that didn't happen very often in our denomination, And um, I wanted to start a church that reached out to people who wouldn't go through the doors of a traditional church. And in our structure, uh, our governmental structure of our denomination, you know, you have to have the approval of the Presbytery. And so I went and asked for approval for that. And they had no money to give to help that start, but said, you know, nobody's going to come, but go ahead. And we started. So encouraging. (laughs) We started in a park and we met in a park on Sunday evening.
0: And And I walked barefoot too. That you walked barefoot too. jumped out of the swimming pool in my swimsuit.
1: Yes. And it was very casual. We had guitars. And sometimes people would be picnicking in the park and they would just have their picnic in the middle of our worship. And they'd keep picnicking and we would have (laughs) worship. It was great. And one time this other pastor in Round Rock, um, I asked if we could use their building on a Sunday night. And he looked at me and said, my God, don't your people know that Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday morning? And I said, at 11 a.m.? And he turned away and walked off.
0: (laughs) 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 Uh, uh, That's really funny. I can already hear my friends laughing at how much of these qualities I absorbed from you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, first of all, the l- I want to add a little bit more context for the listeners. The leap that you took when you went to seminary was not only a leap because of the fact that you were a woman going into ministry, which was not yes. exactly a common thing at the time, at the time I went to seminary, 8% of the Presbyterian clergy were women. Wow. And and also just the fact that you wanted to work period was yes. revolutionary. Uh, for me. For you. Well, for society a bit at the time, but anyway, that's fine. You can just speak for yourself, I respect that. And you also, like financially, I remember, so you had three young children And dad was, had his own business at the time. No,
1: he actually started that business while I was in seminary.
0: So you're both, basically I'm getting to the point where you're lacking any form of benefits, like insurance for your three young children. Yeah, we had no health insurance for a couple of years. And I've been thinking a lot and talking a lot to different people about this moment of trying to decide whether or not to take that leap. A lot of people I know, myself included, are interested in starting our own businesses because of different, both negative experiences we've had, but also um, personal passions and this desire to share our unique gifts with the world. And um, so, you know, obviously, while starting a church or, or going into seminary even is not like starting a business, There's still a lot of similarities yes. um, in regards to, well, many different aspects. but But let's just stick with this one of... A feeling like you're being called to do something and having no idea how it's going to turn out or if it's going to work or if others will value it. That's one of the things yes. I've been struggling with about myself. Um, and how did you find the courage to take that leap? You
1: know, I, I realized that there are some people I knew who were elderly, who had told me at different times that they never did what they really wanted to do in life. They had started this job, and back in that generation, people worked in the same job for 40 years. And they just did that their whole life, but they were never fulfilled. And I remember thinking, I don't wanna do that. I I really believe that we've each been gifted with unique passions and skills, and that we were created to use those and share those gifts. And so, I wanted to check out whether that was what my gifts were, and I could use them because that's what I felt like I was created to do, whatever that was. And so, it didn't feel risky to me. It felt like, well, if this doesn't
0: work, so what? That's I'll do so cool. Else. I've I've been so enjoying that lately, or maybe my whole life, where it's like, if you have a question about something, just try it out and see for yourself. Mm-hmm. And and there's no reason to listen to what anyone else thinks or says about what you can or can't do like or like what does or doesn't work you know uh but just experiment with it and play around and see Mm -hmm. It's super cool that you did that experiment worked very well for the listeners who may not be aware um
1: i should say too that when i went to seminary because i was still struggling with women in ministry um i said i would never preach and i would never be a solo pastor now for 23 years i've been a solo pastor and um, for at least half that time, I've preached twice every Sunday. Twice every Sunday. And so <laughs> I was never going to preach. You know, so so obviously um, there were gifts that I explored and did things to develop them. And they gave me great joy. And I ended up doing something I never thought I would do. That's awesome. Okay, this is kind of a fun story I want to say. All right. When I was born, I was very ill. And I had a tumor the size of a grapefruit on my right kidney. And they rushed me from Bryan to Houston, Texas, to the Texas Children's Hospital. And my mother is laying in a hospital in Bryan. And she prays, God, if you'll just save my precious baby girl, I will dedicate her to full-time Christian service. I did not know that story until the day I was ordained. And she told me that story. And so, okay, that was huge, especially at that time, that she would even think that. And, of course, she never meant being a minister of Word and Sacrament. That would be beyond her comprehension. But uh, how powerful that was. And I think that part of... I was raised that um, we are to give of ourselves. We are to share our gifts with other people. We are to do things to make the world a better place. And all my family were in people-helping professions. And I think that was all a part of every part of my life growing up. And so serving as a pastor was just a natural outgrowth of that.
0: That's really cool. I read this Mother Teresa quote recently, reminded me of you. It was something to the effect of, your gifts were not given to you to keep to yourself. They were given to you to be shared with the world. And that really helped me um, understand You know, anytime, you know, as I've been starting this Shine Freely thing, uh, anytime someone's jumping into this new venture and really putting themselves out there in a, you know, kind of personal way, it's very intimidating and and nerve wracking and everything. And and part of me didn't want to do that because it's like, well, you know, who would value that? Or why would this, why would anyone want to listen to anything I have to say or whatever? And, but then I just realized like, what is the point of me keeping all of my ideas or energy or inspiration to myself? It doesn't get it doesn't make any sense. It's like a waste. It's wasted potential. There's nothing more that I hate more than wasted potential. So Well, and so I think everybody
1: has unique gifts and passions. And if and when we actually tap into those, it feels good for us but it makes a difference in the world too. And so if we were all doing the things we love instead of being in jobs we hate, we would feel so much better and the world would be a better place. But to, life is too short to be, have a job that you
0: hate. Here here, I could not agree with you more. And it's really inspiring <clears throat> the way in which, you know, my whole life, I feel like I have been inspired to follow in your footsteps in many ways. And for a long time, many people might not know this about me. When I was in, I think high school, I was already starting to think about wanting to go to seminary after college and ended up not taking that path. And yet, you know, I ended up taking a path, getting a job at a company and uh, that had nothing to do with religion or spirituality or anything like that. And yet the way I engaged in my work or in my volunteer efforts, which were also you know, quite a substantial amount of my time in my life, uh, was always, I feel like trying to do the same things that you do and that you've always done and that you've inspired me to do and that you've shown me such an incredible example of doing, which is all about inspiring people to discover their own gifts, share them with the world and share love with each other. Mm-hmm. I mean that if I had to sum up what you taught me, it's that simple. And it's been cool to see how I can do those things outside of the church or in any type of activity or anything that I'm doing. Um, And it makes life really rewarding. That's awesome. Yeah. So. Some of the things that I wanted to talk to you about are, so i you I was raised in the church with you of super involved how how old was I when I started grace? like seven or eight, I think something like that. Yeah, and um, for the folks listening, like was very involved in uh being part of the church and all the activity there and leading worship and uh, doing a lot of mission work with particularly. Hands on outreach to homeless people or other people that were just needing help in some way. And those things were always so inspiring to me. And I wanted to share with the listeners, like the parts of my upbringing in the church that were so amazing. You know, unfortunately, most of my friends that grew up in the church didn't have a positive experience. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people left the church um, over it. And I had an Awesome experience in the church. And I want people to know that. And I um, you know, it might be surprising for folks to hear, given that I don't attend church regularly now, but some of the things that I'm so grateful that I had you growing up to to teach me about spirituality in a way that resonated with me a hundred percent, regardless of whatever this like organization called the church says um a few things i mean one is just love i feel like the number one thing that i heard you teach every single sunday is that we should all love each other or not even should because you were never like telling people what they should do because if you did i would have left the church (laughs) (laughs) this (laughs) is true (laughs) that you were actually being that example. Oh my goodness, you're, you've been such an incredible example of really loving people, uh, people who are struggling, people who um, are confused and hurt and lost and all of these things. You just love them. And you always did this beautiful thing of meeting them where they are. And as I've told you, I'm still trying to learn how to do that. <laughs> I'm making progress. Um, and I feel like that's really probably the, one of the core things about your church, Grace Presbyterian in Round Rock, Texas, which is really authentic, is this genuine commitment to meet people where they are and to mm-hmm. accept them as they are and love them as they are. I hope so. Well, I, you do. I mean, I, I've watched it my whole life, and it's beautiful, and it's very convincing, and anyone who meets you knows it. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. And I, I want to also give credit to, you know, many of the other members of your church and, of course, our family. Uh, you know, it's, it's just been an incredible community, very loving um, love and acceptance. But you've also had to deal with some difficult issues, um, probably the— one that i'm most aware of i guess was when the presbyterian church um had to make a decision about whether or not to ordain homosexual pastors yes and then later i guess the did the church have to make a decision about marriage also yes yeah so you, the church voted on both of those the issues. presbytery issues. yeah but as a pastor of a church you know it was a obviously uh potentially divisive topics, and to figure out a way to navigate that that made everyone feel respected, heard, loved, accepted. Can you talk a little bit about what that experience was like?
1: I thought it was really a challenging experience. Um, One of the things in our denomination is we, one of our tenets, is we believe that Christ alone is Lord of the conscience. Meaning when I vote at a presbytery meeting on something it's whatever i feel god's calling me to vote. i'm not voting what i think the people in the congregation want. so like when we send people to our meetings we send commissioners not delegates.
0: Okay? that's super interesting from a governance perspective. yeah.
1: so um anyway, we we had some votes and i voted a way that there were some people in the church that weren't happy. Now, I didn't have to tell them how I voted, and I I did not announce it from the pulpit, but there were some people who asked me individually how I voted, and um, I told them, and they were really not happy with that because they thought, um, I voted that I thought that if a pastor felt that it was appropriate for two people to get married, and they were of the same sex, that they had the authority to make that decision and choose to do that Mm -hmm. and um i said you know i don't marry everybody that comes and asks me whether they're homosexual or heterosexual you know and um i think that if i really believe that two people want to make a lifelong commitment to each other um, I want the church to embrace that I, because I think God loves us all. Mm-hmm. So uh, I voted that that was okay. And there were some people that that was really hard for them. And there were some people in the church that that was hard for them um, because they didn't agree with me, but they were okay that I voted for that.
0: Because they respected your values yes.
1: and judgment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I didn't preach it from the pulpit. I preached from mm-hmm. the pulpit that we need to love and accept everybody where they are, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were some people that left the church and there were some hard feelings and that was hurtful. And, um, as my husband told several people that, um, I just want to extend grace to everybody. I want to extend love to everybody. And I don't ever want to stand in the way of somebody experiencing God's love. And so like for me over the centuries, the church, has done a lot of things that's harmed people as we've struggled with different issues. You can go back to slavery, you can go back to women's issues, you can go back to um, folks that struggle with divorce. Um, I told a story recently in worship about uh, someone I met who had known my grandfather. Uh, He was her pastor when she was like seven. This woman's in her 90s. And she told me a story I never heard of about how she and her mom had to sit in the balcony because her mom was divorced. This was in the 30s. Whoa. And the first Sunday my granddad was at that church, he went up and said, What do y'all do in the balcony? And they said, Well, we have to sit up here because we're divorced. And they couldn't take communion. And he said, I don't think so. And he took him by the hand and he walked him down to the front aisle of the church to sit with his wife. What a bold statement in the 30s for my grandfather to do, a young pastor. And she said, That changed my life. And She said he always welcomed our family, had us over for dinner all the time, really embraced us in the life of the church. And I believe we're all called to go on the balcony and bring people down. You know, that everybody is welcome at the table. Everybody is welcomed in worship. I don't care what, you know, what's happened in your life, you know. And so I don't want to be somebody putting up some barrier for somebody experiencing the love of God. Beautiful. that that goes for all all kinds of issues and throughout history, there's been issues and certainly the church in their desire to try to be faithful has made a lot of mistakes and people have been harmed and that makes me really sad. Um,
0: but I love your story uh, for so many reasons. One of which is that it highlights a beautiful quality about this entire family, <laughs> uh, which is also very much alive and well in my father, which is being a rebel. yes and uh going against the or not going against but uh the boldness to question the status quo Mm -hmm. and the social expectations of the Mm -hmm. day or not even question but just to be yourself in a way Mm -hmm. that doesn't fit within this box of how people are expected to behave uh i very proudly feel like i have absorbed that from both you and dad and it's one of the things i love about myself and i also love that part of my embracing of that quality had to do with in the church you always emphasized that jesus was a rebel yes well when you read the scripture i mean jesus went against all the
1: religious rules of the day he ate with those that were considered sinners by the church and and Jewish people weren't allowed to sit at a table with people that were unclean, and he did it all the time. And he touched the lepers, which you weren't supposed to touch, and he welcomed the children who were not considered valuable at all. And his inner circle included women. At the time women were not allowed to go out in public without a man. They weren't allowed to testify in court. That you know, who's the first person Jesus appeared to when he rose from the dead? Women who are the first people to share the good news, women, you know. So, Jesus went against all of the rules of the day and said, Love everybody. And he said things like, Um, they had rules about forgiving, you know. Well, it says you for you should forgive. I say you should forgive 70 times seven in one day, <laughs> you know. Uh, he, he said things like, Um, take the log out of your eye before you look at the speck in someone else's, you know, Um, just so many things that were not the societal norm. And it really threatened the institutional church. But I think, you know, if we could just live like jesus lived where he welcomed all people and just extended love you know he didn't sit in condemnation of anyone and he told us that he came to give us abundant life and so that's what he wants for us not just to live by these rules but to just love people you know and i always say if we could you know he says the greatest commandments are love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself simple we make it hard we do. We make it so hard. And it's just about love and accepting people. We don't have to have all these rules about who's in and who's out because everybody's in because God created us all.
0: You know? You've taught me that uh, in such a deep and profound way. And, you know, sometimes people ask me uh, if I'm Christian and I don't even, I don't like answering questions like that because I feel like people are asking me to put myself in a box and I'm like, look, you can't put me in a box, all right? <laughs> uh, but, but actually what I want to say is I think it's more important to be Christ-like than it is to be Christian. Uh, I understand that. If we lived as Christ modeled,
1: this world would be a different place.
0: Yeah. And I my impression of Jesus is that that's what he would want for all of us as well.
1: Well, you know, and I think that so many of the issues our society deals with today are really heart matters. And if we could just allow the love of God, we wouldn't have all this stuff we have going on, you know? Yeah.
0: Another thing that you taught me and exemplified that I continue to practice today is just the importance of questioning things yes and being you know having a critical mind and freely expressing doubt Mm -hmm. without concern for who's going to get offended if I express this doubt Mm -hmm. or what kind of you know is the institution going to feel threatened if I start questioning Mm -hmm. you know their power or whatever and I think that in some ways you're unique, I know there's a lot of people out there who do this as well and I applaud them for it, but you really encouraged always everyone in the church to question their faith and ask questions about scripture that you don't understand and Mm -hmm. wrestle with it and that that's important experience and healthy process. Yes, I really believe
1: that's part of who in our denomination we encourage people to be. We encourage people, you know, God gave us a mind and an intellect. And we should use that. And um, we are encouraged to study the Scriptures and look at the original languages and look at the culture of what was, what was at that time and what, what was trying to be said at that time and not to take it out of context to read Scripture as a whole. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think all of that has to do with to question one another in Scripture and, and try to figure out how we're to live as a people of faith. When we first started Grace, part of our mission statement said we invited all to bring their, to share their faith and doubts nice. while celebrating. You know, And I just think that's a very important thing for us to honestly be able to question.
0: Beautiful. Another thing that you very much exemplified and prioritized in the church was this hands-on ministry. And I just have so many wonderful memories of doing things for other people, physical things like building houses or giving them food or just finding these people. And also, I I don't feel like we ever really, um, it wasn't about trying to spread Christianity. It was about trying to spread the love of God, the love that Jesus exemplified.
1: To spread the love in tangible ways, concrete ways. Yes. It is easy to write a check. It is not as easy to get up close and personal with somebody who's very different from you and give them a hug. You know, we started going down to this homeless ministry where we fed people once a month and we handed out clothing at the clothing closet and I saw all these people from my church would just hug some dirty, sweaty, smelly, homeless person who was sometimes not all there, you know, and just love them. And that's what we're called to do is to meet people where they are and just love them.
0: Because when they experience that love, they're transformed. Yeah. Beautiful. One of the things that as you know, it's clear in the way you're describing this, you are very committed to being comfortable in uncomfortable situations so that I think whenever we can do that, when we can let down our fear and our walls, um, then we experience this openness um, that allows us to get more direct access to this love that we're all trying to experience. One of the things that um, I wanted to talk to you about is death because it's an experience that a lot of people are afraid of. It's, an, it's something that I find it's very strange that we can't, it seems like we can't talk about it. Like if you bring it up in a conversation, it kind of like the kind of kills the conversation. <laughs> no pun intended. Well, well um, no, it's like people say so-and-so passed. They don't say they died. Yeah, it shows how like uncomfortable people are with the topic, and so since it's like an uncomfortable topic, then I'm like, ooh, that's the one, that's the topic I want to talk about on my (laughs) podcast. Uh, So, and and then you immediately came to mind because I think you have more experience with death than anyone I know, Um, and not only from this perspective of like uh, reflecting on your, you know, spiritual beliefs around what that means, what happens after we die and those kinds of things, but your actual like firsthand direct experience mm-hmm. of witnessing death. Yes. So many times, I mean, dozens, right? Like I can't, I don't, I can't imagine More that than, you. Yeah. Dozens. More cave, than dozens. Count. More than dozens. So first question, based on that, like direct firsthand experience of being with people as they're dying, were there, parts of that process that seem to have been like consistent like what's what's um consistent about the dying process that you've observed
1: okay first let me say um when people invite me to be part of that process it is an honor because it's a very intimate process and people don't invite many people to walk with them on the journey towards death um what i find with most people is they want to talk about it they want to talk about their fears and their confidences um they want to talk about when they're ready to die and what they believe will happen after they die um, they want to talk about how their body's failing and how that feels um, on they a want physical to talk- level on a physical level and an emotional level
0: yep.
1: Uh, They want to talk about, you know, some people have a lot of pain and how they deal with that pain Mm -hmm. or uh, confusion or whatever. Um, A lot of people, um, you know, I pray with people and I just let them talk and I ask them questions and I'm just real honest about it's okay if you're afraid, you know, it's okay if you don't want to leave this world and when they're ready to leave this world to say it's okay to do that, mm-hmm. you know, um, I find that I've been with a lot of people when they died, and um, everybody
0: has been peaceful at the moment of death.
1: Everybody. Wow.
0: Very peaceful. Even people uh, who are like really suffering and in a bad mental state? Oh, yeah, because
1: as they, they know that they're not going to suffer anymore, they become very peaceful. Wow. Very peaceful. There was one person that um, I was with who had led a really, um, I don't even know how to describe it, a life where uh, she had done a lot of outrageous things and unloving and unkind things when she first came to the church. And she carried a lot of guilt about that. And we talked about that, you know, she was forgiven. and But when she was dying, she was comatose for about four days before she died. And for two days, she was... Agitated and whatever it was, it was kind of weird to be around because very agitated and moaning and you know. And then she became very peaceful, and I remember thinking that she and God were working out the stuff that she needed to have forgiveness for that He God had already forgiven her, but she felt guilty about. And I don't know that that's what happened, but that's what I felt was happening. And then she became very peaceful and then she just moved on to the next life. And it was a wow. very beautiful thing. Beautiful.
0: Or have you found that there are things that, you know, you or anyone else who's accompanying a person in that dying process can do or say that's helpful for them and is comforting for them? Yeah, I think, I think people want to talk.
1: Um, sometimes I'll say, um, do you feel scared? And they'll say, yes. Or they'll say, no, I'm not scared at all. You know, Um, but I think to allow people to talk about their feelings is really important. And some people aren't willing to say they're dying until the day they're dying. And that's okay. And people will say, I know God's going to heal me. And I'm thinking, um, yes, because when your body is completely healed, you will go to live with God in eternity. But... But I will say, yes, God's going to heal you. But I don't say, but you're going to die within a couple days because, you know, they're not ready to hear that. And sometimes people say, well, why don't you be honest with people? And I say, I meet people where they are and let them talk where they are. And if they're ready to say, I know I'm going to die in a short time, we talk about that. But if they say, I know God's going to heal me, we talk about that beautiful i just think you need to meet people where they are and let them lead the conversation all these people i hear say oh i want to make sure so and so saved before you know and they want to you know let them talk don't come and
0: yeah i'm something i'm learning about in my program with Gabramate and also just uh directly experiencing myself because we do so many of these practice sessions with our peers um I'm learning how incredibly powerful it is to be a witness to someone else's intense pain mm-hmm. um, and just to be present with it yes. to, and, and to be present with it without trying to solve it, without trying to interfere, yes. without trying to make them feel better. But to, to to be in that space with them and not have any aversion to the pain and the fear that they're experiencing and to just be there with them. Once a person can create that space for someone where it's okay for them to express the most intense fears and pain and all of that. and that there's this other witness here who doesn't have any aversion to it. They're just sitting mm-hmm. there like completely peacefully and accepting all of this and it's not scaring them and mm-hmm. it is amazing how quickly it gives, you know the the person is experiencing the pain, the opportunity to, release it, actually. Yes. And it sounds like that's what you're doing for people in those moments is you're just being that witness so that they can allow all of those experiences to arise without trying to run away from them and then allow them to to release them and allow them to dissolve and move on from this life. Well, you know, and
1: it's all part of the life cycle, okay? We are all going to die, you know? And so, um, can we just not be afraid of that and let people move through that journey
0: in the way that works for them? Mm-hmm. You know, I actually, and I say this with like a lot of um, humility and gratitude because it's from people like you and others who have taught me some really profound things in life, but I don't I don't think I experience fear of death anymore. Uh, and I but I guess that most people do. <laughs> and a, a close friend of mine was talking to me about his he has a really intense fear of death so much so that even to talk about or to think about it, he starts sweating. And I didn't realize how intense that fear could be for people. Um, so I'm wondering if there's anything you can share for people who really struggle with the fear of death even if it may seem far off, even if they're young and healthy or whatever, uh, what's what? how can they be comforted?
1: So for me, <clears throat> it has to do with my faith. Okay, so I don't believe our life on earth is the end. I believe that our souls have this eternal life. And so I don't think we go to a physical place. I think our souls live, and I don't know what that's going to look like, but I don't think it's the end. And I think what people are afraid of is it's the end. And they will live however long for what, and it's the end. And they won't go on. So so part of my comfort is I believe that even though my physical body will die, that my spirit will live on. Mm-hmm. And what that's going to look like, I don't know. But...
0: um but you feel reassured that it will be a beautiful experience Absolutely. It seems like. Absolutely. I really feel
1: you know, in fact I often think, what would it be look like to look into the eyes of pure love? Mm. Which is what to me God is pure love. And so I believe at the moment of death or the moment of transition, God or Jesus, whoever comes and welcomes me and to look in the eyes of pure love, I can't even imagine how awesome that would be. So beautiful.
0: I, you know, growing up in the church, there's this idea of hell. And I don't even know what it's supposed to mean. I think C.S. Lewis has written really beautifully about it. And I like, uh, I, I relate to his interpretation, I guess, of hell. And this, so this is a quote from C.S. Lewis. Hell is a state of mind. Ye never said a truer word, and every state of mind left to itself, every shutting up of the creature within the dungeon of its own mind, is in the end, hell. But heaven is not a state of mind. Heaven is reality itself. All that is fully real is heavenly. For all that can be shaken will be shaken, and only the unshakable remains." That's awesome. Um, You know,
1: okay, so I believe that we can experience hell on earth, and we can experience the kingdom of God on earth. Uh, Jesus spoke, the kingdom of God has come near, the kingdom of heaven is here. And I think we experience moments of that when we are sharing love in palpable ways. I think we experience that. And so I think that's a foretaste of what will be perfect, you know, when we move to the next life. Um and I don't think our faith has to do with whether we're going to go to heaven or hell. I think our f- my faith has to do with I want to live this life experiencing moments of the kingdom of God here and now. You know, I'm not doing this so that when the day comes I'm going to go to heaven and not go to hell. So you can get into the good party. Yeah, you know, I mean it's <laughs> just like it's a
0: it's a living into the love. Beautiful. Um Can you describe the first death you witnessed?
1: Yes. Um, I was about 27 years old, and my dad had cancer. And my dad was my hero. I loved him more than anybody else. And when he was diagnosed at 60 with cancer, um, I was scared because it was all over his body. And he lived a little less than a year. And so that whole year, I was very, very close and walked with him. And... um, A couple of months before he died, I said, you know, are you scared? And he said, no, not at all. And he said, "Um, I'm only worried about your mom. And I said, oh, I'll always take care of her. And and I said to him, you know, if you were 90, this would still be hard because I love you. You know. So the last month of his life, he was at home with round-the-clock nursing care because he wanted to die at home which was not a comfortable thing for my mom, and I really pushed the issue and got him home. And so I would go see him every day. And when we realized that probably that was his last night, I spent the night there and just sat by his bed, and he was he was almost comatose. And during the night, he became comatose. And the nurse came. Uh, I had laid down for a bit, and she said, I don't think it's going to be long. And my mom and I came in there, and I sat by him and held his hand and... Um, he was in a lot of pain, but he was very peaceful. Sometimes he'd make a noise like he was hurting. But um, he turned where he was looking at me. His eyes were open, but he, you could tell he wasn't seeing me. But he was looking past me. And it was amazing because I felt a presence in the room. And I felt his spirit leave his body and go somewhere. And then he closed his eyes, and he was gone. But his body, he wasn't in that body. It was totally changed. The physical body was totally changed, which gave me the confidence that I know that this is just a shell, and we have a spirit, and that spirit does leave this shell, but it goes somewhere. And some being, who I believe to be Jesus, came and welcomed him home because he was just um very peaceful and i had been scared to be with him when he died and i used to pray because he was in so much pain he had cancer throughout his bones and i used to pray god take him home and then he kind of stopped breathing i go no wait 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 no don't do it now not now you know and i thought how silly this was and it was such a peaceful thing and it was such a gift to me that i could be with him when he died um Years later, my dad died in 1985. Which, in fact, I was pregnant with Vicky, mm-hmm. and she was born two months later. And we and named, named you after him. Vicky. And a celebration of life. Um, so, in 2002, my mother died. So, however many years later that was, and she had Alzheimer's. And um, now, in between those times, I've been with lots of people that died because I became a pastor. But um, she didn't know who I was. But uh, I realized she's probably gonna die. I stayed in her room that night. Well,
0: let's hold on just a sec, if you don't mind. Um, for the listeners, the dementia, it was what, seven year process? of yes. slow degeneration, which is very painful to watch. Uh, and you, as you promised your father you would, took incredible care of her in our home and you brought her into our home, which as a child, and, and now as an adult looking back, for me, it was the most natural expression of love and totally, like, the meaning of being a family and of caring for each other. Um, and, you know, I was 17 when she died, and through those seven years prior, you know, I had this grandmother in my house who was, at the end, just a lot of, like, moaning even and... Um, And that may seem like a weird experience for a lot of people, but for me, it was totally natural. And I feel so grateful that at the age of 17, I had the opportunity to um, witness the dying process. I wasn't there at the moment of death, but just everything leading up to it and even just being in the house. and having all of that absorbing that experience in that direct way um and it actually i don't remember any part of it feeling scary or bad i I just remember it feeling natural Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and um so the, the 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 actual night that she died i think you're just about to start describing so go ahead um, so I was in her room,
1: and I had a recliner next to her bed, and um time she was agitated, I did this for a long time. She was bed-bound for the last 10 months. If she would get agitated, I, I would climb in her bed and just hold her, and she would relax and go to sleep. And so, let um, me get a little emotional here. Um, before, when I knew that she was close, I climbed in bed with her, and I just held her. And... The thing I really hoped, because I'd heard people say that that their parents with Alzheimer's you know, came to and recognized them, and there was this moment, and that didn't happen. She just slowly stopped breathing, and I f- again, I'm a very intuitive person, but I felt something leave her body, and then she was just a shell there as I was holding her, and it was a beautiful moment because what I thought was she now has a whole mind, mm. and... Uh, and it was beautiful that I could be with her through all that to the
0: very end. It was or to the beginning. It was really beautiful. Oh, it was really touching for you to add, or the beginning. Um thank you for sharing those experiences. Yeah. I also want to ask you about the painful experience of deaths that occur from suicide I um, you know it's it's very heartbreaking to see the rates of suicide increasing uh, particularly amongst young people yes I have two friends that I lost by suicide in the last um, little over a year Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, I, I guess I'm comfortable with death. I'm comfortable talking about death, but I'm not really comfortable talking about suicide. And mm-hmm. it's not something that I understand very well or, or have much experience with. Um, you've known several people who have committed suicide and, and probably a lot more who have thought about it and talked to you about it. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you do a lot of counseling and I guess I'll just start by saying, through all of that experience, what have you learned about suicide? Um, both, situ- I've had two people in the church who committed suicide. Neither
1: situation did I realize that they would actually do that. Now, one of them had never talked to me about it. One of my taken to a psych hospital a couple of times um, when she had talked about it, um, but I never really thought they were in a place they didn't open up and share to that depth so I was devastated that they took their life
0: and did you feel like somehow you had some um some of it was your responsibility like you had some um, guilt the
1: first one I was pretty young in ministry
0: and because I had taken her to the hospital
1: several times I thought I knew that she had suicidal thoughts. You know, what could I have done? But the reality is, I know I couldn't have done anything, but it was hard for me to realize the depth of pain she had that that was the only solution for her. And then there was another man in my church who I was really close with, and I knew he was struggling with some really in-depth emotional issues. And both these people were in therapy and, you know, um, had dealt with stuff and uh when he killed himself i was devastated and his family was devastated and it was hard to grasp how deep his pain was that that was the only solution and yet what i know is that with both of them when they looked in the eyes of pure love everything was okay you know Mm -hmm. and um is still hard you know even years later it's still hard to think of some you know and and to wish that there had been some way to have helped them realize how precious and valued they were you know
0: i recently heard someone say that anytime someone commits suicide there will be a circle of people whatever that you know closest circle of people was to that person that will feel responsible Mm -hmm. they'll feel some form of guilt Mm -hmm. and i can imagine there's a few people listening to this who feel some of those feelings and Mm -hmm. what would you say to people in that in that moment that that is not your fault at all that the
1: person had some incredible woundedness that we could not comprehend and that you and I can't heal somebody else's woundedness you know and some people have had some really horrible things happen in their life that have wounded them so deeply and we can't fully comprehend that and all we can do is love people and listen to them and we can let them know that we value them and Want to walk with them through their pain and to let them know there's, you know, we, you know, if they share with us that they, now, yeah. if somebody shares with me they're suicidal, I'm going to get them to a professional who knows how to, to deal with that. I don't know how to deal with that, mm-hmm. but I know my part is to let them know how much I love them, how much I value their relationship, how much I want them to be present on earth, you know, how much I want them to heal the pain that is there, but I can't heal that pain. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I can't... You know, both the people I knew that committed suicide did it alone. Not, You know, nobody knew that was going to happen. And, mm-hmm. did, you know, I had no clue, right, that they were going through a rough time during that time that they were at that point. You know, because some people, you know, they may do, be doing fine and all of a sudden something happens one day
0: and that's it, you know. What about for... um the people who may be struggling with suicidal thoughts now in their life, um, what are what are the you know one or two things that you wish so deeply for them to know? To know that
1: that there is no problem that is too big that you can't that we can't deal with it. You and someone else, and I believe God. I believe that there's nothing that will separate us from God's love, and so um, there can be really tough stuff, and we can get through it, and we may need other people to hold us up as we get through it, but uh, we can with the help of others, but we usually can't do it on our own, you know? But to know that they're loved, and I want to walk through with them and let them know how important they are to me, and I would be really sad if they weren't there. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think some people, when they commit suicide, they think, well, nobody cares
0: whether I'm here or not. Mm-hmm. Do you have any um, favorite scriptures that you find most comforting on the topic of death that come to mind? Um, there's several.
1: Um, there's one that says, although the Outer tent we live in is being destroyed day by or is being destroyed day by day. The inner is being renewed every day, mm. and so i I think for people who are going through a long illness to say our outer body is gonna you know we are a concrete there's so many years you're gonna live your body's gonna fall apart, but our inner soul is being renewed every day. I believe by the love of God. And so I think that's comforting. Uh, the scripture that says there's nothing in life or in death that can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, that's very comforting. Um, there's a scripture uh, in John 14 that says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In my Father's house are many rooms. And what I've told you, if... I hadn't gone to prepare a place for you, and I will come to you and take you there so you can be with me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now I don't literally think there's this house that I'm going to live in, but I believe with my whole heart that I'm going to live in this eternal place that's going to be full of love and compassion, and and so that's um, in, comforting to me. And unity? Yes complete love
0: and for me the I think or maybe for everyone the hardest part about death is being separated from your loved ones Mm -hmm. or or experiencing a sense of separation which maybe is actually just an illusion if we can overcome it and realize Mm -hmm. that we're not actually separate and I found the probably the most comforting quote I ever heard was that which separates us is not lasting And I deeply believe, like you, that there will be this experience of unity and love, which is certainly nothing to be afraid of. Okay, mom, you have been such an incredible example of how to witness and experience and discuss uh topics and experiences that are difficult and painful you've also been an incredible example of being playful and hilarious <laughs> <laughs> uh, if anyone's wondering where i got my laugh from this, is this lady right here and of um, what's a story that you feel like just encapsulates the type of person I am and it just is a great example. Like that's so Vicky.
1: Okay, it should be no surprise that you have a podcast because, <laughs> you know, you've always liked to talk. And when you were little, um, I was concerned because you weren't talking soon enough. <laughs> and, you know, I talked to the pediatrician and said, you know, Vicky's not talking and he said She has two brothers. She doesn't need to talk. Everybody talks for her. And, you know, he's like patted my shirt. Don't worry, Mom, she's going to talk and it's going to be fine. Well, one day, and I think you're about three years old, you were helping me fold laundry and we were folding it on my bed and you were folding a towel and you were just talking nonstop. And I finally said, yes, Vicki. And you slammed that little towel on the bed, slammed your head down, and said, Mom, I like to talk.
0: (laughs) And I I, thought, I can't believe I was ever worried that she wouldn't talk. And from that day on, I never had a problem expressing myself. (laughs) True. (laughs) Um, What about, like... You know, we talked a little bit about rebellion and my rebellious nature, which part of it I get from you, but there's, <laughs> there's this other part that's maybe like, uh, I sometimes a little bit feel like I'm the weird one in the family. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like when I do stuff, y'all are kind of like, yeah, you know, that's Vicky. She's like, she, beat, what is it? Marches to the beat of her own drum or something like that. Um, did my rebellious nature ever concern you no because you weren't like
1: rebellious like like in high school you weren't skipping school all the time and doing drugs and and now you're in trouble you did i'm gonna go (laughs) (laughs) but you know you were you know you would um try new things or whatever but it wasn't like harmful things or I always always thought you should have mental health day. So you wanted a mental health day and we just didn't go to school. So that was not, I mean, you didn't have to skip school. (laughs) 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 By the way, in the fourth
0: grade, my mom got a letter from the school that I wasn't going to pass the fourth grade because I had missed so many days of school. Yes, and I called them, and they said, Okay, Nancy, we're not going to fail
1: her. She's way too smart. But she may not miss another day of school. <laughs> I used to, when she needed a mental health day, she would come with me to work, and she'd go to my church downtown. And uh, I had a secretary who would just pamper her and make her soup and do all this stuff, and she loved it. And so there would be days, she said, I don't feel good.
0: So yeah. at this church downtown that you used to work at, it was... a. Uh, very there were a lot of very refined people <laughs> unlike me <laughs> and you were so gracious in the way that you first of all you never forced us to go to church ever no. which I highly respect um but and, you always went yeah every I did Sunday. always go I've had fun I liked it um it, it, but you also you never forced us to fit in you know, that we did. I, I will speak for myself. I did not fit in at that church, uh, for example. And, you know, I was like, what, seven. And it was a lot of older people that dressed very nice and spoke very nice. And they were very polite. And I wasn't. And I would show up with my like unbrushed hair, barefoot <laughs> uh, And I believe one time I was even mistaken for a homeless person when I had skinned my knees and had blood running down my legs. This is really a great story. Can I tell that story? Please. Okay, so Vicky had
1: been running through the parking lot and she had on a little, you know, like leggings and a. Top, you know, and she fell down the parking lot and it tore her leggings and she was bleeding all over the place. And she came in, and it was right when I was having to deal with people. And I said, Vicki, just go in the women's restroom and clean up the blood and then come out. So this elderly lady comes running out of the women's restroom and says, Nancy, Nancy, there's a homeless person in there taking a bath in the toilet. You've got to do something. <laughs> and right then, Vicki came walking out and I looked at her and said, uh, That's my daughter. <laughs> It was so funny. She's like, oh, you know, so it was, it was funny. It it was funny.
0: I think there were also, on more than one occasion, our entire church was threatened to be kicked out of a conference center or a hotel because of the uh, rebellious behaviors of me and my brothers and sometimes my father.
1: (laughs) I don't remember this. I
0: do. (laughs) Oh, wow. Like, I'm pretty sure there was always... Threats around uh, using the slide at Mo Ranch during midwinters <laughs> when you're not all, You had to sign a thing that says you won't go in the water. And then uh, I remember that I think on a beach trip, the ho- we were messing with the elevator, and the hotel was like, yes, and, yes, uh, or it uh, Chris snuck into Mo Ranch when he didn't belong. Yes,
1: <laughs> yes, and they called me and thought he was horrible. And so one time, you and your brothers and dad were sitting in the balcony at this church, and they had hardwood floors. Up and- oh, where the rejects sit
0: that aren't accepted. In yeah. the- <laughs> Just kidding, that was yeah, from yeah.
1: So anyway, um, I'm sitting at the front of this large sanctuary up at the front. There's like 500 people in there or something? Whatever. And I hear this ping pong ball <laughs> bouncing down the hardwood floors of the balcony, and it's like, boop, 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 boop boop, 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 And it was like during the sermon or something. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that is my children. And everybody turns around to look up there and Kevin can't be seen because he's laying down on the pew sleeping. (laughs) And all my friends used to sit right at the front and they're just shaking their heads. And they were going, Nancy's kids, you know, and
0: like Like Nancy's husband. Yeah. One
1: time, uh Vicky. she was in the balcony and she had this little stuffed animal and it was sitting on the very edge of the balcony and it almost fell off and Kevin reached and grabbed it and the whole choir, and it was during a sermon, like went, oh, you know, and I'm like, what? <laughs> I, you know, I didn't even see it, you know, but, you know, there was this, so, you know, there were things, yeah, y'all were known, well known and, you know. victorious. Everybody loved you.
0: I remember in that, uh I believe it was my first or second grade, Sunday school class, I was so, what's the word? Uh, Like, I was so satisfied to read the scripture that said that you should not wear shoes on holy ground. (laughs) And I was like, see, I knew it. That took off my shoes because I was always having to be forced to put my shoes on. And I don't think I wore shoes to church ever again. And then you, you went and started a church where I didn't have to wear shoes. That's true. I used to,
1: at that church, uh, you couldn't see the pastor's feet because there was a railing. And and uh, I was always nervous about preaching then, and so I'd always take off my shoes to preach. And I used to say, I'm standing on holy ground. And so when I left the church, one of the other associate pastors said, one thing y'all don't know about Nancy is she's a barefoot preacher. She has never preached with her shoes on. <laughs> so I preach with my shoes on now, but.
0: That's fun. Well, Mom, it's always such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for taking the time. And I just love you so very, very much. And I'm so grateful for everything you have taught me.
1: Well, I love you. And this has been fun. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Shine Freely podcast. We have new conversations every week. That you can find on Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out my blog and information about executive coaching at shinefreely.com.